Morning, church family. Good morning, online people. It's great to have you here. It's great to be able to affirm in the middle of the chaos and in the middle of the anxiety that, that the God of the universe is there, that the God of the universe is with us. It's, it's, it's amazing to be able to know that no matter what's going on around us, God has a plan. One of the things about who God is, and one of the fundamentals about God's nature is that God is a creator and he makes things new. He, He renews. One day, one day, God is going to make all of this new again. All of this. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And and we as God's people sometimes have the privilege of having glimpses of that happening in our lives. Sometimes we see it as a big picture and sometimes we just see little bits and pieces of it. But God's plan, God's direction is to make all things new. John was on the island of Patmos and, and just, I'm sure, like all of those disciples asked God, show us new, show us new, and Jesus did it often. One day, John got this picture. It was a 3D surround sound, full color, HD picture of what is new. And one of the things he saw was was Jesus on a throne. And Jesus said this, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. I'm going to make all things new. You can take that to the bank because I'm God. That's who I am. But the temptation is to think, well, if that's so in Revelation, we're just going to have to hang around and wait for that to eventually happen. We're going to have to wait. One day, maybe in our lifetimes, Jesus will come back, but maybe it won't happen. Eventually, God will make all things new. But because of God's character, because of who he is, It's not something that's just going to happen one day. It's something that's happening all the time. That God is constantly demonstrating that to us. Why? Because God loves transformation. God loves creating. And not just creating, but recreating. God loves renewing. I don't know if you saw those beautiful old things as you walked in. I, I, I tell you what I want to do. For those of you online, there's an old cash register and an old valve radio and, and an old, uh, what's the other thing that's out there? Oh, oh, a record player. My nature is I want to take those old things and, and fix them. I don't have the skill to, which is sad. But God does that all the time. He makes old things new. 
In fact, he reminds us in the Bible, even in the Old Testament, that this isn't this renewed thing, this new thing is not for one day, it's for right now as well. Isaiah 43 verse 19 says this, God is speaking to his people who are in exile and who are desperate and who don't know what's gonna happen and he says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Now clearly their experience in that moment was the opposite of our present experience. Their issue was drought and, and not having enough to eat and stuff like that. And God was saying, I'm gonna make streams. But what is God reminding them? I make things new. But it's not just in the Old Testament that God promised that to his people. Jesus promised that to us as his followers right now. Jesus says this in Matthew 9, 60, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth into an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. What is Jesus busy telling his disciples and the people listening to him? They were anxious because they were worried that Jesus was gonna change the way they worshiped, and he was. They were anxious that Jesus was gonna change the way God is followed, and he was. And Jesus explains that God makes all things new. I wonder if Jesus had preached that sermon today, what he would say. Perhaps he would say something like, you can't play a 45 on 33. Now, there's some people in old enough, who are old enough who got that joke straight away. Younger people don't even know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about vinyl records. They used to have different speeds. Long story. But that's perhaps what Jesus would have said. He would have said, you can't put a VHS tape into your Xbox. You can't put a VHS or a Betamax tape. Ha ha. Here's some old school stuff for you. Into a CD player because you'll never hear the message. You'll never know, because, because it won't translate. Oh, the message will still be the same. The words there and the pictures there will be the same words and same pictures, the word of life, the word of God, who he is. But if you try to play it, it won't play. I'm making all things new whether it's on Netflix or on Spotify or it's on a cassette tape. I wanna tell you how cool I am. When I was in high school, I had the first radio cassette player in my school. <sighs> it was awesome. Can't even play those things anymore. Why? Well, technology changes, but the world changes and God knows that and God makes all things new. We have to recognize that God doesn't just make things new in theory. He actually changes the way he connects with people. The message, I'll say it again, and I'm gonna say it for the last time, doesn't change. But what God does and how he does it as he transforms us becomes new. And that's incredibly important for us, not just as individuals, but as a church family. And not just as a worldwide church family, but this church family because we've gone on a journey with God to be transformed. 
And transformation, by definition, requires new things. But before I unpack that, I want to remind you how much power the church has. And not just the worldwide church, but our local church. I want to remind you that the mandate that Jesus gives to the church when he says, all authority has been given to me, includes things like, and you can go and look up the verses. I'm not going to give you the verses because I need to hand over to a better preacher in a moment. But the power of the church is this, that we've been given the, the mandate to take the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Everywhere. Everywhere. We've been given the power to make disciples of every nation teaching them to obey everything that Jesus taught. We have been given the keys to the kingdom. Jesus says this of the church, that, that what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. If you forgive people on earth, they will be forgiven in heaven. That's big. That's huge power. Jesus also tells us that the church is the guardian of the truth. Perhaps the biggest responsibility we have as a church is to be the body of Christ in the world. Those early disciples got to see Jesus. The world these days doesn't see Jesus, they see us. And we are the body of Christ. My goodness me, that's power. That is huge, huge power. But the truth is, I think sometimes that power scares us. And we get so afraid that we just don't do anything. Or we just stick with something that we know works and we go, I'm, we're just gonna do that because my goodness me, this is a big power. But you see, we can't have that power unless we are, are prepared to have the responsibility as well. I used to have a, a, a cartoon stuck up in my office and it was of a, of a male lion with all his lionesses around him and it said, I want all of the power and none of the responsibility. Because let's face it, that's what male lions are about, aren't they? They have all of the power and absolutely none of the responsibility. The women do all the hunting, all the caring, everything. He just sits there and makes the noise. And Jesus tells us that as his body, we do not just have the power, but we also have the responsibility. And with those responsibilities come the risks that are inherent in that, of going out there and taking both our power and our responsibility seriously and responding to Jesus when he says, I will build my church. It means that we have to cooperate with him. When Jesus says, I am building my church, building by definition means we have to change things, especially in a changing society especially in a changing world. Those of you who had flood damage, I just want to tell you, if where it broke, you fix it exactly like it was before, I'll see you in 30 years' time when the same thing happens again. And guess what? That same damage will happen again. You have to, you have to rebuild differently because of the world we now live in. And Jesus will build his church and we must listen to him. Not only is, do we believe in our hearts that Jesus is building this church, but we also believe in our hearts that Jesus is speaking to this church. 
He's speaking to us. And the beauty is that scripture shows us that Jesus talks to churches individually, not just the church worldwide. In that same book of Revelation, we have Jesus talking to, to seven different churches. And the first thing he does is he names them. He says, this church that is in this place, I know you, I love you. I put you there on purpose, home ground. I know who you are. You're not in the middle of Westville randomly. You're mine. You are there. But he doesn't just stop there. He goes further. He evaluates them. He goes, if you go and look at those chapters, he talks to them about who they are. He tells them, this is who you are right now. This is your condition. This is what's going on around you. And then he encourages them. He tells them what they're doing well. Well done for this. Well done for that. And then he does something that I'm going to call warning. Richard's going to give you another name, which is, is cool. It's an old school name, and you'll probably remember it. But he warns them. He says, I love you, and I want you to change, but, but you, you aren't doing this, and you aren't doing that, and you need to take this part seriously and that part seriously. Why? Because I am making... Every church knew. The message stays, but the how is new. There is no doubt in our minds that God is doing some very specific new things in our church. He's doing some very specific things, not just making his church new, but he's making our church new. And we want to cooperate with God. We want to be right there with God as he makes things new here at home ground. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about some very specific new. And I'm going to ask Richard if he'll come up and, and talk to us about that first new step in God's transformation of our church family. Thanks, Rich. Thanks, boss. Morning, everybody in the whole wide world. So, so one of the big challenges that every preacher faces is how to preach a sermon that appeals to just about everyone that could potentially or even possibly listen to the sermon. I'm trying to include everyone when I'm up here. Um, on any given Sunday, I'm constantly in my mind trying to address both the group that have grown up in church since they were this high and those that are new to our faith, those people that know Moses and those people that have never heard of this Moses character. And those that are... are that are old and those that are young and those that are single and those that are married. And so the list, the endless list of diversity could go on and on and on. And so it's, it's always a challenge. But today, I'm going to give myself a bit of a break. I'm going to unashamedly step away from that challenge. Um, my intention today is to focus in on some very particular sections of our church, almost to the exclusion of other sections, and to grapple a bit with that section before moving on to the next group. Um, and I need to do this, obviously, because sometimes, probably more often than not, one size doesn't fit all. Um, and so I'm going to use some quite broad categories. I'm going to invite you to listen for the one that will resonate with you, and then if it does, if the shoe fits, then please, I invite you to wear it. So just to quickly reiterate the critical stuff that John just said, Christ is building the church. Okay, Christ is building this church. 
Um, I believe that at the core of my being, it gives me hope for this church. It makes me excited about where this church is going, about the future of church. And, and to be 100% honest, I, if I don't believe that Christ is building this church, then what on earth am I doing here? And to be frank, what are any of us doing here if Christ isn't part of the building of this church? With that fact in place, and hopefully firmly in place, Another fact also starts to become very, very obvious and needs to be recognized. One leads, one fact leads very naturally and necessarily to other. Because Christ is building the church, as John has just said, change will happen. Okay? As God grows, as God prunes, as God corrects, and blesses and leads a church and molds a church for the new community that we're living in and the new group of people that define this church, as God uses these things, the people on the ground, especially those that have been here for a while, will often look around and say, yo, something's changed here. You know what? That's okay. Because that's what it looks like when God works on and in and through a church. How we respond to that change will determine what the next chapter of our church's journey will look like. Some things, just quickly, some things don't and won't change. And you can go to our statement of belief for the list of beliefs that are non-negotiable that we'll always hold on to. Okay, But as we sit here today, I reckon our church is at one of those critical, kind of fundamental junctures in our history. There has been so much change over the last two years, and much of it has happened to us as opposed to being determined by us. And that's what makes this time special. We're in the middle of change, and so let's make sure that we, each of us here today, choose a great path from this point going forward. And we do this, amongst other things, by knowing the role that we must play. And that's pretty much where my sermon's at today. Four areas that I want to pick up on, and John just listed them. I'll rename some of them. Firstly, I'll name the group that I'm going to be addressing. Secondly, I'll try to define something of that group as opposed to evaluate, just to define them a bit. Try to throw in a bit of encouragement because I think that's always critical and always on, on God's heart. And then I'm going to admonish the group, okay? I'm going to admonish the group. Different word, got two meanings, could mean a warning, and it could mean advice. At least that's what the dictionary says. I'm going to admonish the group. So let me start off with the first group. The first group, I'm going to call it, <laughs> and I know it's lame, I feel quite ashamed of coming out of my mouth. I'm going to call it the furniture group, because this group of people have become part of the furniture of this church. Okay, you're the furniture group. Uh, as I say, I know it's a bit of a weak name, but it's, it's not easy to find a great name for each of these categories. Um, I could have called this group the long-termers, but that sounds like a prison sentence, and I wouldn't want to communicate that. Um, I could have called this group the antiques, you know, in, in honor, and we're kind of honoring this group by putting some antiques out there. We could have called them the antiques or the oldies group, but again, that puts just too much of an old age feel to the name. And as much as we appreciate the old age folk, the truth is that there are a huge number of younger people that also belong to this group. And so just for convenience sake, I would say that anyone that has been, and again, this is debatable and it's purely my own opinion, but I would say that anyone that has been here 
three years or longer in my, long, in my mind belong to this group. That's an incredibly short time, I suppose. But that's where I landed. People that have been here for three years or longer. And there's all kinds of shades for that group. But the people that have been here for that amount of time, I think, know this church quite intimately. They know the pastors, they kind of, they, the, the kind of ministry that we get involved in. They have a much clearer understanding of both the good and the bad things in our church. They've weighed them, and yet they've committed to journey with us anyway. Okay? A church will never, ever take shape, will never have any substance, real substance, will become a significant presence in the community or for God's kingdom's sake, unless these are the people that fill the pews of the church, the seats of the church. These are the people that go the long haul. If I had to rename them other than the furniture group, I'd call them the salt and light kind of people. There's a verse that quickly comes to mind when I think of this group of people. Philippians chapter 1 verse 3 puts the words, Paul's words, to the sense that I have of this group where Paul says, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. And that genuinely reflects my heart for this group of people. And I'm sure all the all the pastors at this church. I can't tell you how absolutely grateful I am for this group of people. Um, because of you, because of your giving, because of your hands, because of your back, you know, your vision, your faithfulness, your prayer, your support, your involvement, all of these kinds of things, because of that, we are able to respond to the floods like we have over the last two months in an incredible way. Because of you, we have a presence in the lives of pre-married couples, married couples, couples that are battling, and everything else around that. Because of you, we have an opportunity to minister to about 150 people every Friday night, and we have a school that raises littlies with the name of Jesus ringing in their ears often. We reach out to schools in our community because of you. We can provide meals for the sick. We, we provide connections for the lonely. We try to provide connections for the lonely and, and friendship and love and support for each other through our small group ministry. We, we can reach out to addicts and, and others that desperately need to hear a gospel that brings freedom and life to this world. And this list, the, the footprint of ministry that has happened in our community and through this church could go on and on and on because of you God's kingdom has come to this community and will do so for years to come because you're here. I do want to recognize that this group of people feel the changes in our church the most. You remember where we come from and, and what we have gone through, the good and the bad. You can refer to those good old days, you know, whatever that looked like. Um, some of your dear friends have moved on either into glory to another place or, or maybe to another church. And it's, that's always tough for those of us that are left behind. It's not easy. Um, you've experienced massive change during your years ago. Years ago. Many of you remember days when other pastors and other worship leaders were filling this space on stage, or rather on that stage, because this wasn't here back then. Hey, And my guess is that some of those pastors were better for you than this present lot. Certainly not better looking, but in some other way, you know, better for you. We recognize that. There's four things I want to admonish that I want to ask of this group. Four things. Firstly, very quickly, firstly, keep the passion. That's the tough part. 
of being a, a long-term person. The passions sometimes go cold and it dims a little bit. Please, please push and persevere and push into the passion, not just the loyalty. Secondly, can I ask you to keep us committed to the important things that have built our church through the years? You know what those things are that have built this church. Okay? May this, strong, this church strong. You have the credibility that has been built up through the, the years. Your voice is important to us. Your wisdom and your experience is invaluable for the future of this church as well. Thirdly, and this might feel like it clashes with the second one, hold lightly, John has actually alluded to this, hold lightly to the model of church that you think is best. Okay? Keep the mission that God has called us to, to, towards transformation, towards you know, everything that God calls us to, the great calling that He places on our life. Keep the mission, but always interrogate the model. Otherwise, some critical changes that are necessary to minister in this world that we live in, with these people that we're surrounded by, some of those critical changes will always be offensive and threatening to you if you're not interrogating the model over and over and over again. And the fourth thing that I'm asking of this group of incredible people, please be welcoming and inclusive of the new people in our church. You know, may we truly be family as God intended. I want you to track yourself. What new peoples, what new names in this church do you know? People that have arrived recently. If you don't know any, can I just suggest very gently that something in your walk with this family of believers is possibly misfiring? Introduce yourself, man. Please, include someone in your group of conversation. Give to someone else that's just arrived that awesome sense of belonging that you have loved in your years at this church. It's a gift you have in your hand. It's a gift that's meant to be given. Okay, that's the first group. Second group. I'm going to call them the, just, again, another great name. Just the new folk. All right. Creative, cutting-edge name. New folk. I could have called you newbies. I would have got into trouble. Could have called you visitors, but that's not the picture. All right. Anyone, by implication from the first group, anyone that has arrived here in the last three years probably belong to this group. These are the people that are, are still exploring Maybe coming to terms with the who's who of this church, what this church is actually about. And hopefully there's a bunch of people that are still initially just exploring this God that we talk about. And absolutely, all of these folk, exploring is just what we want you to be doing here. These are the people that probably most often, though not only mix up John and I, we two different characters, same age, different shape. I'm a much lot thinner than that guy over there. But sometimes you get mixed these two up. Um, definitely mix up Moira and Cindy on a regular occasion. Maybe you're still in a bit of a honeymoon phase at this church. Sometimes new folk go through that kind of phase, a bit of a honeymoon phase. You love the preachers or the worship leaders so much that you see something of a glow when they get up here, you know? Okay, that's wishful thinking on my part. Maybe you even think that us pastors have a life, our lives all together. And again, may those, those things just, moments of imagination last for long. Whereas some of the older crowd have left because of the disruptive effect of COVID, you guys have arrived and for whatever reason are looking for a new spiritual home. 
man, we'd, we'd love to be that for you. We really would. Let me just say that you are a bit of an intimidating group. It really feels like you're a big group. Um, I often do a bit of a walk around before the service, just meeting and greeting people. And the number of faces, never mind the names, the number of faces that I'm needing to commit to memory nowadays, it's a big group. Please be patient. And I think I speak on behalf of a bunch of this stuff. I'm a slow learner. It would really, really not offend me. In fact, it would help me massively. If on the odd occasion, please just introduce yourself to me as I walk past you. Hey, Rich. You've got one name to remember, Rich. Okay, maybe two or three. Rich, I'm Pete. I know you remember my name. Say that line. It would be fantastic. Very encouraging me to, to me. I'm Pete. It's good to see you. And uh, how's your week been? I don't know. Grab me and help me to know you a bit better as well. If you haven't felt welcome as a newcomer here, can I say you really are welcome. It is an absolute privilege to have you here and very encouraging to us. Um, here's the thing. You, you have a gift for this church that I cannot wait to unpack with you for the time that you'll be here. We look forward to the freshness that you'll offer in our church. Every single church needs to be refreshed by new ideas, by new gifts, by new faces, by new stories, new perspectives. Every church needs that, and you can bring that to us. We look forward to getting to know you and sharing stories and lessons and passions as together we walk through life, always pushing towards a more intimate walk with Jesus. I've absolutely no, no doubt that as you settle more and more with this church being your home, your spiritual home, that we will increasingly love your presence, your friendship, your stories, and your support more and more each passing year. The more we get to know you, we, we look forward to being your spiritual family. Critically, critically, please, as a word of admonishment, at the right time, help us to help you past an anonymous existence. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19, different context, but I think this principle still stays the same. Says this, Paul says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens. And yet, in a congregation that's, that's normally bigger than this crowd, but in a congregation this size, it's easy to be a stranger and alien nevertheless. But you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Again, that's a longing for you. For you to be part of us and us to be part of your life and your story. You know, some people arrive at our church and they're needing a break from life and they're needing you know, a break from a heavy previous church experience. And that's okay. Have the break. And if being anonymous for a while helps you with that, that's also fine. Use it, but at some point, at the right time, knowing that, know that being anonymous cannot serve you long term. You need to be known. It's never been part of the picture of God that, that God had in mind when he, when he conceived the idea of church, anonymous people. And so here's the deal I want to make with you. And I'm speaking on behalf of the church. The church guarantees that it will regularly and often offer you spaces to step into that will help you to be more than just a nameless face on a Sunday. And so we'll say things like, 
we're opening a bunch or hoping to start a bunch of small groups. That's what it sounds like. And in, we're inviting you to be part of it. If you hear that, sit up and take notice. We might say he has a service opportunity, somewhere you can get involved. Again, if you're feeling anonymous, getting to be part of a team that, I don't know, that's serving coffee or standing at the door welcoming people or whatever the case may be, getting involved in a place of service is always a way to be known and to get to know other people. Maybe we'll say something along the lines of there's a newcomers event coming up. And that is going to be the case. Watch this space in a couple of weeks' time. Newcomers event. Basically, we're going to have a bride together that we're inviting anybody that feels like they're a newcomer you know, to be part of that. So we can get to know you and vice versa. Um, if we, the church, are going to be offering these kinds of opportunities, your side of the deal is to simply pluck up the courage and to step into one of those spaces when the time is right. And hopefully that's not too much to ask. Every one of us, no matter how much of an introvert we may be, no matter how much we like our own privacy or our own space or our own company, every one of us needs to be known and needs to know others. That's what we call family as God intended. That's what the family of God is meant to be to each other. That's what we're inviting you into. It's one of the deepest desires that we have for this church us to connect not just here as nameless faces but real and authentic relationships okay next crowd i want to suggest address are actually watching from behind a screen this morning or whenever you get around to watching this this is a section of our church that to be honest is completely new to my experience i've never been in this very rarely ever been in this situation Okay, COVID changed our church in many ways, seating arrangements, types of ministries, sign-ups, registration, all that kind of stuff. But possibly the biggest difference is the start of our online community. Um, people that basically experience church nowadays from behind the screen. For many of them, that's their default experience of church nowadays. Um, lots of reasons. Some of these people do it because geographically they can't be here, and that's understandable. Um, we know of people, a person who's watching in the state regularly is actually very, very involved in other ways. We know of people just, you know, more north in Africa. We know of people in the UK and Holland and all over the place. We hear these stories of people regularly connecting with us who geographically can never make, make it into this church service other than through a screen. Others are still being careful with the possibility of getting, getting COVID in a big group setting. And that's completely understandable. Okay, or other COVID complications. Others who aren't here today in person kind of just dropped out of the rhythm of getting to church on a Sunday. There was a rhythm. It's lost. And to be honest, being able to sit and watch church when and where they like and at the pace they like because there's always that fast forward button past the boring bits, it suits them just fine. And, and you know, that makes complete sense to me. Here's the thing about this group of people. In a sense, they are probably experiencing church in a way that is, in some sense, is at least similar to those people that receive letters, handwritten letters from Paul in the New Testament. Okay? It was a limited form of communication, the written letter from Paul to his congregation. It was a limited form of communication. You know, possibly not the best way to connect with your congregation, and that's why he's always saying, 
I long to be with you. He says it in Philippians 1 verse 8 to the Philippian church. He says it in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 7, Romans 1 verse 1. He says it to a bunch of his churches that he's writing to. I long to be with you. Implying that there is a limitation to him simply writing letters. But his letters were absolutely an, an effective, incredible way of ministry as well. They were impersonal in some senses, but formative in terms of the people's faith journey, without a doubt. And so my encouragement to those folk that are watching online is don't let anyone tell you that watching church online isn't church in any way, shape, or form. Yes, online viewership has its shortcomings, but so does our in-house church service on any, every, any given Sunday. In fact, any, any expression of church has its shortcomings. Not only does the potential of God's Word spreading beyond our own little local church become much more real because of our online presence, but your encounter with the Word that is preached and the worship that is offered is determined by not by sitting in the room where the words are spoken or the tune is placed, but by the response of your soul to God's Word and to God's Spirit. No matter how those things come to you, whether you're here in person or receiving a handwritten letter or if you're on screen. Also, can I, and I, can I also just quickly say the fact that you're watching our service right now when you could be watching a Netflix movie with a multi-million dollar budget, encourage me, encourages me just a tad. Um, but more importantly, I think we need to know that it's also a window into your soul that proves you have a real hunger for our living God that no amount of money can actually satisfy. That's an awesome thing. Our real hope as a church is that we become better at pastoring our online congregation. It's a very, very new experience for us. Please feel free to send any suggestions that you have on how we can do this better um, to feedback at homeground.org.za and, and genuinely will take into consideration what you're saying. Our, our real longing is for you to be part of this church family as much as anybody that is sitting here today. Help us to do that. It's a new experience for me, brand spanking new. Um, but you can maybe help us. One little bit of admonishment. Be careful of spectatorship. And I guess this is a warning to all of us, but be careful of spectatorship. Or to put it another way, please remember, engagement is, is, is absolutely necessary in church. My suspicion is that engagement is just a couple of degrees easier when you're online. Sorry, my suspicion is that disengagement is just a couple of degrees easier when you're online and you have a remote control in your hand. You know, you don't need to be part of a church business meeting. You can just switch it off, especially when it's boring, and at times it is. You don't need the experience of the messy relationships that are part and parcel of a church life. You're in the comfort of your home with the family members that you love. You don't need to respond to any of the announcements or the, you know, the invites to service because, hey, you can't make it. You can't be part of it. Even tithing feels like it's more for people that are at the live event than those that watch the service a couple of days later. And some of that stuff, some might say that some of that stuff is a good thing. You know, I don't want to be part of messy people's lives. But, folk, in between the lines of each of those things, something precious 
or critical can be found if handled well. That was God's intention right from the beginning when it comes to the idea of church. So my, my real hope, my prayer for you, is that your online experience never in some subtle way gives you permission to simply disengage as well. You know, do the church light thing. You know, you get Coke and Coke light, church and church light. Christianity was never meant to simply be a spectator sport. It was always meant to get your hands and knees dirty for your soul's sake, for God's kingdom's sake. May it never, ever fall short of that experience of church for you. And that's a reminder to all of us. Last group, last group is the evening service at our church. This is a, this is a tough one. Of everything in our church, this service has been the hardest, been hit hardest by the changes that came with lockdown and other factors that have happened since, the evening service. All of our services are necessarily smaller. We still only allowed 50% capacity. But the evening service has taken the most flack. At, at times, a couple of months ago, we were down to 40 people in the evening service. And, and 15 of those guys were the service team, so people preaching, worship leaders, guys at the back. Let me just clarify something quickly. Once and for all, it's about the evening service. Please hear this if it's ever been a question. Its major focus is on the 18 to 25-year-old group. In other words, the choice of music, the sermon focus, the service team, all of that will be geared towards speaking a language and addressing the needs of a group of people that in many circles are called the lost generation. Okay? And they call that because in the U.S., 67% of people in this age bracket are utterly disinterested in church. It's not even on their radar. And so they've been called the lost generation. 67% of young people in that age group, and we feel the threat is similar in our community. And so this, this evening service is one of our responses to that massive challenge. We're creating a space that will hopefully feel just a little bit more like home when someone of that age steps into that service. Their language is being spoken, you know. Their issues are being addressed. But having said that, and hopefully that's 100% clear to everybody in our congregation now, having said that, please note, everyone is welcome. You are not too old to be part of that. If you enjoy and possibly respond better to that type of focus, you know, get a bit of a younger feel, a bit more relaxed, then please, can I even encourage you to create a bit more space in this morning service? And obviously today is not a good example. But create a bit more space in the morning service by saying, no, 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 I'll, I'll actually try the evening service once or twice. I'll pause five on a Sunday night and try maybe, maybe just see if that is something that you might relax into. I preached at that service a couple of weeks ago, and I absolutely loved it. It is a small, at that stage, I think it was the 40, maybe that's why it was only 40, because I was there. But it was only about 40 people. Definitely a more intimate feel. I can hear the person next to me, and whether they're singing or not, that kind of intimacy, you know. Maybe, maybe a, a degree of more authenticity. I could even fool myself into believing a bit, I'm a lot younger and more hip than what I actually was because of the crowd that was around me. But, but I have to say, it was awesome to be there. Um, I want to encourage the evening service leadership team for the incredible job that they're doing. Your guys' longing and prayerfulness towards seeing a revival happen, I, I genuinely believe is going to be rewarded in the next couple of months. 
Um, please, God, may that happen. A real re revival in this group. By the way, there were over 70 people at the service in the last two weeks. So it's already a, a very exciting trajectory that's happening there. God is doing something. We long to see what that is. Now, the admonishment. The, this admonishment kind of is for that group, but also for the broader church. The admonishment is, is just a reminder for all of us that we must, we, must, we must go beyond just saying this, but we must never, ever, ever give up the fight for the younger generation. Making space in an evening service that they can call home is just an absolute must. Making a next generation appointment, uh, someone to lead some of the next generation, which is what we hope to kick off in this next 133. These things are non-negotiables in our church. If we lose the battle for the next generation, we lose a critical part of the war. We can't afford to do that. And so we need to be careful of complacency. Creeping into our church about the younger generation. Because hey, we want our bread buttered as the older generation. In terms of the evening service, can I ask you just to, just to be careful of, so, God's, of Satan sowing seeds of disunity in that group? Something I've heard a little bit, I had a little bit of a sense of, and it's just lyric. And, and really, when offense creeps in, it's just not something that we want to see. In terms of the whole congregation, I've said it already, be careful of taking our eyes off the care of young people because my needs are so important and so need to be met. Remember, as adults, as parents, time and again, we've said no to ourselves because of the needs of our kids. And that needs to be replicated in our church as well. So at this juncture, in our church's existence, we have to be wise and careful and prayerful about this group that's that the evening service is ministering to. Boss, won't you wrap this up? You're up. Thanks, bud. I've got my own, Rich. I've got the big boy microphone here. Church family, it's so easy when you've heard something both so spiritual and so practical to want to re respond with your default. You know, you know when, I, when I'm worshiping and I hear this and the future and it's exciting, I'm like, yes! A wise pastor once said to me, John, everybody says they want change. They just don't want the consequences of change. And, and I hope that all of us are excited about the future. I really do. I hope we are excited. We go, God, we, you're doing a new thing. But, but I'd like us to slow down a little bit over the next few weeks. Because even as we talk about very practical things, we want God to to talk to us in our own hearts, to say to us, what do I need to let go? What do I need to embrace? What do, what's the first domino that needs to fall for me in order to, for God to do new things in our church? And to help you do that, we actually want to give you a domino. Now, there's an old till at the back and it's got dominoes in it. And we'd love you to pick one up, but we don't just want you to leave and take it. We want you to take your domino when you're ready. And it may be this week, it may be next week, it may be the week after. And we'd love you to carry it with you and to say, God, what is the first domino that needs to fall in my life? What's the next piece of ministry that I need to do? God, you're calling all of us to all of this, but you're calling me to part of this. 
and take that domino and use it. Keep it in your pocket. Keep it in your bag. And use it to be reminded by God that he's doing a new thing. Not just in his church, but in our church and in our hearts. And he's calling you to be the first domino to fall. God, how is it that the God of the whole universe uses us? It is breathtaking. We are privileged. God, I long for this church to be there making things new through you until you make all things new. God, help us to hear your voice as it speaks to us. John, Richard, Cindy, you are making you new. And help us to hear you and cooperate and join you. In Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.